start this off a little awkwardly, so it's going to seem a little odd, but I want you to think in your mind of things that you hate. Things that you hate. Things that make your skin crawl and the hair on the back of your neck stand up. And I'm not talking like insignificant, trivial things. I'm talking about like major, global things, like things that you just can't stand, like chicken wings. When you get chicken wings, and they're the little itty-bitty chicken wings. That shouldn't happen in our world today, guys. That shouldn't be a thing. How about when they're overcooked? Who's putting those people in a kitchen and telling them they can cook chicken wings? Get them out. It's 2018, folks. How about this? To even say it hurts my heart, but when they're sitting innocently in a soupy sauce what did they do to you do you know these chickens personally and they have hurt you why did you do this clearly i'm being goofy and dramatic for effect but i want to maybe you're thinking of things maybe that that you don't like that you hate i'm going to add a couple other things to my list here i hate slow traffic I hate when people order steak well done. Who are you? Why? Just don't order it. Leave it for us that care. Stop eating our meat. I hate when Wi-Fi is unreliable. I hate when Netflix quits in the middle of a show. I got binging to do, Netflix. I hate when... Okay, just slow it, slow it down. I mean, I hate... When, and this is going to hit some of you right between the eyes, I hate when I look at someone's computer desktop and it's filled with program icons and folder shortcuts. Why did you even put the picture of your grandkids on it if you're going to fill it with all that stuff? (laughs) Seriously, why, why even bother? Or how about this? When you open your email... When you open your email and it says 5,367,822 unread emails, there's 5 million people trying to get your attention and you're ignoring them. Read your email. That's why people use it. Why are there 5 million unread emails? All right, admittedly using the word hate for this is a little much. Maybe they're pet peeves at best. I'm using dramatic effect. Um, However, I want this to point to something, a bigger issue that I want to talk about this morning. We're going to look at this as we continue our series in Romans, Unashamed. Um, That because we love something, we also have to hate something. When you truly love something, that automatically means you're going to hate something else. Now to bring it to a real, actual, more urgent level, because I love my wife, I hate pornography. I hate it because it diverts my affection that I reserved for her alone to some scummy counterfeit. I hate Victoria's Secrets commercials. I hate nudity in film in general because it diverts my eyes to something that could potentially devalue that which I have given my heart to. And if I don't turn away from those things, I can't actually say that I hate them. 
I love my son, and because I love him, I hate a hurried lifestyle. Because in certain moments when I look hurried for things that are actually not useful to be hurried for, I'm telling him in that moment that there's something more valuable to me than him. I hate a busy schedule or a packed calendar because it robs me of the precious time that I have to disciple him. That is my responsibility. In case you weren't aware of this, while I am super glad that we have teachers and assistants downstairs teaching our kids about Jesus, it is not their primary responsibility to do that. Which means that if we were to cancel and close down Renovation Kids, that our kids should still have some a high level, not some little level, some high level of biblical instruction because of what they're getting at home. Because the church is a supplement, not a main course for our kids. Every one of you in this room, perhaps without even realizing it, prove what you love the most by what you hate the most. What you actually truly hate, you hate because it comes in direct conflict with what you love. Another way to look at this is doctors hate germs. You know why they hate germs? Because it crushes healing. That's why they wash their hands all the way up to their shoulders. <laughs> Every room they walk in, they're pumping hand sanitizer because they know that to give the highest quality of health care humanly possible, they have to remove germs over and over and over again. So today we're going to see this idea played out in the most significant area of our lives, our spiritual life, so let's read in Romans and see what God has for us. So then, brothers, we are debtors, but not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, we have to start where the verse starts, which means we have to go back a little because the verse starts with this term, um, uh, uh, therefore or so then. In the New Living Translation, it says therefore, and ESV we're reading this morning, it says so then. And when you hear that, my friend, uh, one of my great friends, Carl Brazelton, he used to say that when the Bible says therefore, you've got to figure out what it's there for. Because it's, it's telling you something is true previously, and that's what makes this true right now. So what was true previously that makes this true right now? Well, if we look back in chapter 7, Paul spends a lot of time on the law of God. And ultimately, he shows us that the law reveals our guilt of sin by our willful disobedience of it. We see this most clearly in Romans 7.13, which Paul states that the law is good because it reveals our sin to us. The law acts as a mirror, helping us see who we really are as sinners. It's really a gift. Because without the law, we would continue in our lives not realizing we're actually a spiritual hot mess. But the law helps us see the truth. So the law condemns us to death. But Paul goes on in the first 11 verses of chapter 8, which Jeremy talked about last week, to pretty much lay the smackdown on sin and its consequences. Yes, you're guilty, but Jesus came to deal with your guilt. 
In Christ, sin does not condemn you. We see this in uh, Romans 8, 1 through 2, stating, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. In Christ, no condemnation. In Christ, set free. There's no question about it. Jesus is the solution to a very real problem with sin. But he is the solution. There's no doubt about it. There's no other solution. There's no other way out. The the initial verses of chapter 8 outline our new focus as a natural result of this forgiveness and salvation. And the Spirit of God is highlighted here. This is really cool. We get this idea, we get this visual that the Spirit of God, He uses our new heart, a heart that, by the way, He gave us. We didn't manufacture it by good behavior, keeping the law. He gives this new heart to us and then helps us live out the new passions that this new heart provides us. Romans 8.11 ends with this, right before we get into our verses this morning that we read in in the beginning. It says this, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Check this out. Instead of the flesh condemning us to a sinful death apart from Christ, we have the Holy Spirit liberating us to a spiritual life rich in Christ. That's awesome. The flesh is everything we want that God doesn't want us to have and everything we don't want that God wants for us. Because the flesh is hostile to God, Paul says. The flesh isn't neutral. The flesh isn't a distraction from what's good. It's a desire to not have it. It's a desire for everything contrary to God. This is what God wants. I don't want it. It gets in the way of what I want, actually. It, it opposes what I want. And so in, result, in response, I oppose it. So in Christ, we have this new spiritual life, free from the consequences of sin. We have a set-free life, able to live out the heart of God. And as we'll discover today, we are inheriting an, an eternal life with God like Christ forever. So getting back to our text today, therefore, or so then, because we are guilty of sin due to the law, chapter 7, yet declared not guilty because of Christ, beginning of chapter 8, we are children of God adopted as sons, if we have experienced this new life of Christ through the Spirit, if we have experienced this. Remember, leading into our text today, Paul emphasizes that the Spirit dwells in those that are in Christ. Verse 16 is crucial in our verse today, in, in our passage. Verse 16 is crucial. We can't miss it. Let's read it. It says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. What does this mean? The Spirit bears witness with our spirit. What does it feel like when the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit? Here's what we know. It assures us that we are children of God. When the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, we are assured that we are children of God. This is experiential language, transformative. We feel it. We were condemned and now we're free. We feel different because we are different. 
We're a new creation. Something strange is happening. What we used to want, we don't want anymore. And what we didn't want, all of a sudden we want it. Because the Spirit of God is developing these new passions, these new desires, these new goals. What was so important before, all of a sudden doesn't seem that important. So what happens as the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit? How do we know this has actually happened? Paul gives us two main things that we can look at to know if we are inheriting this eternal life. Verse 15, if you go back one verse, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The natural result of receiving the spirit of adoption is that we are driven to cry, Abba, Father. Now here's what that means. That means we, anybody can say, Abba, Father. Anybody can say with their lips, Abba, Father. Everyone on the planet can say, Abba, Father. But those that have received the spirit of adoption cry out, Abba, Father. It's deep and emotional. I love what John Piper says about this. He says, the spirit bearing witness is not a voice whispering in your ear, you are the child of God, when there's no evidence in your heart or in your life that you are the child of God, but rather it's a life-changing work of the Holy Spirit in your heart producing a profound cry as your father. If we go back one more verse, two more verses in verse 13, the second natural response of receiving the spirit of adoption is that we are compelled to put to death the deeds of the body. All that means is you don't want to sin anymore. You used to love it. You used to really like to sin. In fact, you told everyone all about it. You posted Facebook pictures. You took videos and sent it to your friends. You celebrated your sin because you didn't even know it was sin. You loved it. Now you're compelled. Why? Because you love God. You love God, so you hate your sin. That's what this is. This is, this is becoming a litmus test. Are you inheriting this eternal life well, the Spirit of God does the work. And because, so because we love God through the evidence of crying out to Abba Father, we hate sin, which is the evidence of putting to death the deeds of the body. This is important. You can't love God and your sin. You can love God and struggle with sin. You can love God and, and be tempted by sin. You can love God and, and um, have questions and doubts. You can, you can love God and go through moments of despair. But it's not your lifestyle. It's called a struggle for a reason because it's a struggle. That's, that's important to know and discern. Our default is to hate God and love sin. It takes the work of the Spirit in our hearts to rewire our desires so drastically because it is a drastic result. Nobody loves God without the work of the Spirit. Because of this, the work of the Spirit, according to verse 12, going back one more verse, we no longer owe our flesh anything. We don't have to obey it. We can look it in the eye, point to the cross of Christ and say, sorry, bro, he owns me now. You got nothing on me. He, in fact, has rescued me from you. 
you lying, deceitful punk. By the way, I owe you nothing. Go on your way. If we're truly sons of God, verse 14, the evidence is that we are led by the Spirit of God. And if we are led by the Spirit of God, then we love the Father and cry out to him, and we hate our sin by putting to death the deeds of the body. Now, what this really becomes is a litmus test for your spiritual life. Where do you stand with Christ? And this means that each of us have some self-reflective questions we've got to begin asking ourselves before we can say for sure that I am inheriting this eternal life. Because once we can say we are, it becomes this motivation for those in Christ that we keep moving towards and we keep, we, we're rewarded with. It's eternal life. So number one, here's your first question. Do you truly love God? Loving God is different than appreciating Him. Now, there's a subtle yet significant difference between loving God and loving what God gives. If you love God's gifts, you'll shake your fist at him when life doesn't turn out the way you want. When you love God's gifts, you'll lose interest in the word because it calls you out in areas of your life that you actually have no interest in following. When you love God's gifts, you'll go critical of his people because you didn't even realize that they were your brothers and sisters in Christ. This proves that you're more interested in getting something from God than you are in offering yourself to God. But if you love God, oh man, you're in for life. You know why? Because you've surrendered to him. Fully. You've surrendered your opinions to his word. You've surrendered, your, you've surrendered your soul to his care and you've surrendered your life to his will. He calls the shots. You don't. When you're in conflict with something his word says, you change it, doesn't. It's hard. That's hard. Because we are super opinionated. Every one of you have opinions. The only one that counts is the one that comes from the word of God. Now, there's humility here. You, you, your, your arrogance is gone when you get to this point. There's, soup, there's, there's, there's humility, and it can't be manufactured. It's a work of the Spirit causing you to cry out to your Heavenly Father. Your heart desires to please Him now because the Spirit in you wants to please Him. Your posture is worship and trust. It doesn't mean you'll never doubt or struggle to understand His ways. It just means at the end of the day, He's yours and you're His. Are you an heir of God and a fellow heir with Christ, inheriting eternal life with God in heaven forever? If your heart cries, Abba, Father, you are. Number two, do I truly hate my sin? Not is it annoying, not does it get in the way sometimes, but do you hate it? There's a subtle yet significant difference between hating your sin and hating the consequences of your sin. If you just hate the consequences of your sin, you'll continue sinning as long as you don't think anyone's looking and as long as you think you're getting away with it. Because you're not interested in pleasing God, you're interested in fooling people. If you just hate the consequences for sin, you'll become angry at the thought of God punishing people for specific sins because you don't think they're actually supposed to be sins at all. If you only hate the consequences of sin, you'll despise people who hold you accountable to righteous living because deep down you're not actually interested in living righteously. Only hating the consequences of sin proves you're more interested in your happiness than God's holiness. 
One of those two things is driving you. But if you hate sin, oh man, your heart will ache every time you sin, whether anyone knows about it or not. And I'm not talking about guilt. Remember, your guilt is gone. There is no condemnation. Your sin does not condemn you. Jesus took that condemnation from you. However, there is conviction through the Spirit, which is important to discern. So when you hate your sin, you're sensitive to the Spirit to convict you when you're sinning and you have a desire to turn away from that sin. When you hate your sin, you're thirsty for the Word of God to direct your life because you know without it you'll go astray. Your default is not to obey God. Your default is to sin. You're aware, if you hate your sin, you're aware that your sin you do commit is covered in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's authenticity here, and this also cannot be manufactured. It's a work of the Spirit that causes us to align with the Word of God more and more every day. It's a work of the Spirit causing us to fight, to fight against our, our, our sinful passions, to not let them have their way with us, but to fight through them because something matters. Something's driving us. We're not interested in hiding behind a facade of fake living because we're confident in the God that we serve. We're interested in living a life that honors God and glorifies Him even though sometimes it looks like a mess. Are you an heir of God and a fellow heir with Christ? inheriting eternal life with God in heaven forever? If you hate your sin, you are. If you hate your sin, you definitely are. Then there's this future hope that Paul adds in verse 17, a tremendous encouragement to the believer. We've been pointing to it throughout the message, and really it's kind of the main idea of this, that you are adopted as sons into the family of God because of the Spirit through the death of Christ. But if we're children of God, then we are also heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. What Christ has been given, we will be given. We will live eternally, glorified, meaning made perfect in God's sight, with God forever. Here's what Paul's basically saying. Will you suffer in ways Christ suffered as you accomplish his will? Yes. Don't wuss out. Don't give up. In Christ, you are a child of God. You're not trying to become a child of God. As, you, as the Holy Spirit works out these things in your life, you're not trying to get to a state of a child of God. Anyone who is a parent in this room, none of your children are trying to work themselves into your family. They're in your family. You're the mom, you're the dad, done. They're not working themselves into that relationship. Same with you who have been adopted by the spirit of adoption into the family of God. Your heavenly father will take care of you as you boldly proclaim and live out the truth of the gospel. And I want to speak to those in the room that maybe you're not following Christ. You genuinely admit you don't cry, Abba, Father. You don't hate your sin. I simply 
want to boldly yet gently plead with you to understand the consequences of the sin that you love so much. Outside of Christ, that sin condemns you to a sinful death apart from Christ in hell forever. I love you enough to tell you that. But today and every day from this point until your physical death, you have the chance to repent of that sin. To turn away from it. To cry out, Abba, Father. To recognize your need, your very real, deep need of saving. And then you'll begin to hate that sin. Perhaps right now the Spirit is beginning to even expose that sin for what it is. That it's destroying you. And maybe he's revealing Christ as your only hope. And eternal life is waiting for you. If you will simply surrender your life to God, the God who loves you, sent his son to die for you. For those of you who are following Christ in this room, may this be a rally cry for you to renew your love for God and deepen your hatred for sin. Maybe life has had its way with you. Maybe your calendar is filled with busyness and you're distracted. Maybe you long for entertainment more than you do scripture. Maybe you've simply grown despondent to the heart of God. Maybe you're hurting and God seems distant and you're angry. And somehow that has caused a rift between you and God. Maybe some doubt in your spiritual status has been creeping in. I want you to know that your Father, listen to me, your Father in heaven who adopted you is still your father in heaven who adopted you nothing has changed if you're a child of god you're still his son or his daughter and he's still your father pray and ask god for the strength to love him fully and hate sin entirely and pray for the confidence to believe and the boldness to obey If the spirit of adoption reigns in your heart, you are his child. Nothing, anywhere, in existence can take that from you. It's simply a fact that you get to live in. It is your identity. You are a child of God. You're allowed to live like it. You don't have to obey the passions of flesh, because this is not your father. He can say whatever he wants. He gets nothing. This is an important identity for us as though, for us that are Christians. Your identity. You're his son. He's your father. I pray that today, as you begin to think on these things, you recognize you are that son or daughter, that God would begin to rekindle that love for him. And if you're not, that God would bring to the surface the truth of where you're heading, but the truth of how that could change. Let's pray. We're going to spend some time, some songs in response to this. Pray that you would uh, think about what you're saying and what you're singing.
Let's pray. Let's stand, and then we'll pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we see this scripture, this passage, that we would acknowledge that we are, um, if we have experienced the transformative power of the Holy Spirit in us, that we would begin to realize that if we've forgotten that you are our Father. Father, I pray that we would be able to be encouraged and strengthened, uh, but also convicted in ways that maybe your Spirit needs to convict us so that we will honor and glorify you more and more every day. In Jesus' name, amen.